Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Man, I took, uh, I did just go to the bathroom. You did. From having Brazilian barbecue, it finally came out. Ugh. Because it's been sitting inside. And it still spelled like the house specialty picanha. All right. Well, welcome to Side Stories, everybody. I am Ben Kissel with Henry Zabrowski. And I want to say on behalf of Marcus Parks and all of us here at the last podcast on the left, happy birthday, Henry. You don't look a day over 34. 34 wow. the sexiest most important age everyone looks to the 34 year olds and say what's next mm-hmm. what's yeah, you're- next for our generation and you know what i say cbd creams <laughs> i believe that people are just going to be covered they are just weed popsicles at this point the vast majority of uh of folks nowadays i smoked a joint last night it was like it was called a dragon joint that eddie gave me for Ooh. my birthday and it had shatter in it and hash and it was What's covered shatter? in keef all around the outside of it i honestly i'm not even sure where chatter is i know okay. it's a weed thing and so i'm smoking it with jackie and i was just like wow what's the difference with all why do we does this have all this weed technology and it's not even making me any more stone than normal cut to me sitting like a chicken on the edge of the the couch watching we watched southbound last night and we were both scared out of our minds and i couldn't even feel comfortable enough to fully recline i was like oh that's what chatter is (laughs) too stone to relax that's that's the worst kind of stone um so we obviously we're going to get to uh the original night stalker has been called we're going to talk about that in just one second a little bit later on in this episode we have an interview with the director of Shy Boys, a fascinating documentary, a fascinating look into the incel community. Her name is Sarah Gardafi, so make sure you stick around and uh, and listen to that. Some fascinating stuff. You but better. I guess we have uh, the big news of the week, huh, Henry? People are so excited in a way that makes me feel weird on the inside. How many people happily sending me messages being like, did you hear about the Eron's case? And I was like, I know that it's been around. Like, we played the calls uh, that the Eurons made uh, back right. in the day when we one of our first nine one one episodes, which he'd be do these heinous calls, and I, I don't know if I'm giddy about this. Now, no, 
those of you who don't know, the East Area Rapist slash original Night Stalker slash the Golden State Killer was a sadistic rapist turned murderer who operated from 1976 to 1986 thereabouts. There's also right. crimes that were attributed to another uh, character named the Vasalia Ransacker that was from 1973 to 1975, all of which now tre- seems to be through DNA evidence are tied to a man named Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. And this happened last week. Basically, the day we released our Nexium episode was the day that he was officially caught. And the yep. the line of information that goes, that connects all of these things back to this guy, and the way that they caught him now, to me, is the most interesting part of this story. Absolutely. And of course, again, it is great that he's caught 40 years too late. He is 72 years old. And I will say the news media coverage always aggravates me when we come to, when it comes to these kind of cases. The first story I heard about was that he was depressed. Oh, they say what? that the original Night Stalker, he's depressed. He's, he's heavy. Depressed. He's on suicide watch. Do it. Oh, no. End your life. Or actually don't. Suffer through a trial and get sentenced uh, and go to prison because that's exactly where this guy who was, for all intents and purposes, hiding in plain sight, he belongs behind bars. Well, he's definitely 72 years old. Like, you yes, know, some, t- some people you want to say, like, you're Nanu, you know, when you you have your Nanu or your Papu that you know what? at home and you I say, say my grandmother's young. Yes, yes. My because grandmother filled just with passed life. away. Yeah, my grandmother who just passed away, 89, I would say 89 years young, all she had was a walker, her brain was about, uh, it was, you know, she knew what was going on, so I say 89 years young. Yes, yes and you're right. Joseph James D'Angelo had that sort of like his face is kind of sinking in because yep. of the rage that he's felt his whole life that's aging him into a fucking skeleton and finally gets to die in jail. But the so to go over a little bit about Iran's in the background. So the part of it is like, you know, when we do a show, when we cover a killer on last podcast, a lot of times it's like we like to have the whole story. We don't really like unsolved cases because then where are you at? Right. It's just a bunch of scary details. And then there's no arc. There's no ending. So now it's like we're starting to hear a little bit more about this guy's life and how it connects of these crimes and they do very eerily match up. The one thing about Iran's is that when I was, there's there are obviously many sources of information now about there that you can get into. I'm certain there was uh, Michelle McNamara's new book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, uh, obviously was a, uh, a brand, the, the latest chapter in this saga of uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, wife who has passed, who was also a true crime writer. Right. She has been a, uh, a force that seems to be uh, br- brought a lot of attention back to this cold case. Yep. But there were several other books that were done that I want to read that were written closer to the time when the uh, material first hit the internet. The amount of information on this guy is quite extensive, so it is fascinating that it took all these years to find him. We also want to, a little bit later on here, after Henry gets those names, talk about how law enforcement found them. And again, I am thrilled that he's caught, but it is interesting to think what kind of world we currently live in. They found him through a distant relative who had signed up for Ancestry.com. I think a lot of folks who do Ancestry or 23andMe don't expect that information uh, to be privy, uh, the government to be privy to that information. So that that for me was a little bit of like a, huh, that's kind of a fascinating sort of uh, dystopian type uh, the, the present that we are living in. Well, that's kind of halfway minority report, right? Because technically we did not know that they would be able to scan this information that we gave, right? It's the idea is that you can go and ping it and then technically they have to go and find, I like to think our research assistant Rachel gave me a bunch of information on this and it's like it takes a, a lot to design a uh, search warrant in order to 
to search for one of these uh, through one of the databases of the of this uh, of this type. Right. But what we're discovering now is that the when this popped out, I mean, they have been. They say that the newest book, Michelle McNamara's book, had nothing to do with the resurgence and information about this crime and the research of the, the trying to break open this cold case. But it seems to be at some point they had a tag looking for this DNA to show up. They've had this DNA sitting there for a while, DNA evidence from these various crime scenes right. uh, from the from the Iran's cr- criminal. And they it, they were waiting for a pang and it finally fucking happened. There are two books that came out about Iran's that you can also read besides just Mich- Michelle McNamara's book. And one was called Sudden Terror and the other one was called Hunting a Psychopath. And there's several. What I like now is because now that the information has been sitting there for fucking 40 years and the inter- Internet has been obsessed with this case for years because of the recorded calls that are super fucking scary. Um, we should actually probably play that. But there's but there's like so much information now aggregated online. There was a really great website called www.coldcase/erons.com. Okay. That is a I've learned quite a bit about the the scale of these crimes. Now he is a very dangerous human being. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what we're now going to see is that he did up to 50 sexual assaults and he also closely monitored his own footage. So essentially he would he would watch the news reports about his own crimes and then change his crimes accordingly. Right. Where they knew at some point, they knew enough that he, this guy knew enough about law enforcement procedures that he must be a cop, that the the Sacramento Police Department had the entire police department DNA scanned. Like, they basically had to do double check against everything. He also... He the escalation is so clear. Like what we talk about with serial killers all the time is that they they grow to murder. And when you see the 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 extent of his crimes and how scary they were, and the mo's were all exactly the same. He would put them down on the ground. He would break into their house while they were asleep. He would wake them up from a dead sleep. He would tie their hands around their back. A lot of times he would make them put his very tiny penis in their hands and they'd, he'd be like, play with it, play with it, which is fucking disgusting, disgusting. and bad. And he also had <laughs> yeah. a tiny penis. Um, he had a very tiny penis, which then leads to my uh, clue. They say that again and again, he had much, much smaller than average. And I think now I have a, uh, a theory that tiny penis men are more likely to become serial killers and big dick men are more likely to become cult leaders like Jim Jones and Rasputin. All right. Well, that's a Henry Zabrowski theory right here on Side Stories. And you know what? Do some research on it. See if it holds true. They were packing. Rasputin's packing. Jim Jones is packing. <laughs> they went to lead people. And then the tiny penis people do like small fucking awful shit. And so I think is that a, is that a chapter in Michelle McNamara's book? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But so he would do the same thing. It grew to. So it started a sexual assault. He would yell at them. So, you know, don't move or I'll kill you. And he would do the sexual assault. It then he saw uh, a news report at some point saying, well, he's attacking women alone in their homes. And so it seems to up his own ante. He began to attack couples while they were asleep. And he would tie up Um, the man at gunpoint with the woman at gunpoint. And he'd say, both of you don't need to move. I'm going to take you into the room. I'm going to have sex with you. That's all I want. And I want your money. He'd go. He would put a plate, a stack of dishes on the back of the man. And he's like, if I hear these dishes move, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to kill him and I'm going to kill you. He would go commit the sexual assault. And sometimes in the middle of sexual assault, he'd leave and seemed to have like a comfort about him where he'd go make food, he'd eat in the kitchen, he'd do all these very, very brutal shit. And eventually all of this led up to, which then became known as the original Night Stalker murders in the, mm. uh, from 1979 to 1981. So you wow. see a massive, the, his escalation was huge. He somehow managed to 
uh, elude the police, which now we're going to find out it's because he was a cop. Yeah, from 1973 to 1979, two different uh, precincts. From 73 to 76, he was a cop in Exeter. From 76 to 79, he was a cop in Auburn, which I suppose gave him a lot of the insight into police work, obviously being a cop. And I, I would assume that's also why he was able to uh, avoid being caught for so long. Well, he, he knew what they were doing. He was also promptly fired. Like he was promptly, he was fired uh, in 1979 for shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent, which is the thing that they said that maybe explains a lot of times why there was a dog at the scene of the crime or there was a dog at the scene of the crime and nothing happened because they'd also see several points. It's like when you read through the attacks, especially if you read one of these books or on this cold case website, and you go one by one, this shit was scary as fuck because he yeah. would show up and he would, he would stalk his victims for a long time. I don't know how he had time to be a cop where it's like he would do this. He would, it would play out over a month. He would come in, he'd feed the dog meat. They would go back in the backyard and there was like cases where they'd find the dog out back with an empty thing, of hamburger meat where he's fucking feeding the dogs. So he's acting like Tim Curry in the beginning of the movie clue, just yes. throwing steak to the dogs to keep him quiet for a little while. And then channeling his inner Kathleen Turner from serial mom and stalking these people over the phone. Yes. And then he would do follow up calls, which is where we got the recorded calls from the East area rapists is that he would do Ooh. these follow up calls where he'd call and he'd freak them out. He'd call the police and tell them I'm the East area, I'm the East area rapist and I'm going to fuck tonight. He was doing this again and again. And so now we're, we're, we're saddled with this, right? Is it right? So he's caught and he's in jail. So what does it mean? Like, and, and will he stay in jail? Do we want to play a clip from one of these phone calls? I think this would be a good time to, to hear, uh, just the, the horror and the terror that this man caused in this community. Jeez. Not nice. All right. And again, that is why I'm not sad that he's depressed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sad that he's depressed. What a maniac. And so now, was that a precursor to an attack, those calls? Or was that something that he did afterwards just to continually have these people, these victims live in fear? He did it before and after. And that's a part of this. Jeez. This guy's just such a, I mean, obviously he's a real jerk. <laughs> Thank you, Norm McDonald. Yeah. Well, but I part think of that's, that's cannot be overstated. But uh, it reminds me of BTK, right? Where technically he is a mm. very, uh, he uh, did a very thorough job. You have to be the, a type of prick that can do it 
so consistently well that you don't get caught. Like a part of it's like you have to be so exacting, very military-like. He did it again right. and again. Apparently everyone said that uh, Joseph James D'Angelo himself was a real fucking prick, which does not right. surprise me. Uh, you and, just and that's like Dennis Rader also. Same thing where they said he was a real asshole, but it also fucking shows that you can do all these crimes. So he got married somewhere around 1979. He had his first kid in 81. The crime stopped. And then the second murder happened in 86. Then he had his second daughter in like 87. And then it stopped. It's in a fucked up way. It it shows that a serial killer can just stop being a serial killer. Which is totally fascinating, right? Because usually, I mean, what happened to BTK and it didn't happen to D'Angelo again. He was caught with Ancestry.com. BTK threw himself back into the ring. Well, he right? couldn't he stand so upset someone that was, no one was talking about it. Yeah, he, he would, couldn't stand anybody taking credit for his fucking super clever murders. This guy is such a prick that at some point that he got it out of his system and then he just let it all go. That's if everything holds. Crazy. Because now we're at a point where it's like, we're going to see whether or not this DNA evidence can even hold. And now it's going into like, is it legal to go and scan a ancestry website for your DNA. Right. They're hiding the they're hiding the identity of the relative that uh, did sign up for the website because they got to because basically what they did was it it pinged on their DNA. Right. Then they went through their family tree to find the dude that was age appropriate. Then they stake the guy out. So just like he, one of his victims, he's walking around like, God damn, someone keeps taking my garbage cans. You know, because you know when someone's taking his garbage cans, it's just a fucking piece of shit. And you got to fucking get him every time he can. The police are watching him. They wait until he leaves. They have his whole schedule down. They go through his garbage. They find some shit from his garbage. That's how they get the DNA match. Then they oh. do it just like they did with Robert Hansen, where they sat and they just waited for him to come home. And they said his biggest problem is that they, they, when they arrested him, he said, wait, I have a roast in the oven. What a total maniac. So to that point, Henry was talking about the marriages. And I saw uh, he was engaged to a woman named Bonnie in 1970. Bonnie married a different guy. And there were some articles being like, that's what triggered him. And yes. I just want to really clarify here. Bonnie did not start this. She did not like, start this. All of us have had our heart broken. All of us have been broken up with uh like come on the recent research into ted bundy right they did the same they try to do the same thing every true crime book tries to make it that ted bundy broke up with his fucking girlfriend in college who said that she was too good for him and that was the impetus from then on that he killed women that looked like his ex-girlfriend because because she tried to say that she was too good for him and that's not why they kill ted bundy was born a fucking monster yeah that's a very dangerous narrative that's a very dangerous media narrative also just this uh you know, just as they do with Columbine, it's like get it right, folks, because this has real ramifications. No, the guy guy was bad, right? Ted Bundy was a bad dude. Everybody that got close to him said the same thing. There's a shallowness to Ted. There's something that's like when you look in his eyes, it's like a fucking a doll's eyes. He's got nothing going on. He'll just say like, "Hi, how are you?" And you could tell he's been rehearsing in the mirror how to say, "Hi, how are you?" Right? Where it's like this guy, the, the, I can pr- pretty much guarantee the same thing. When more information comes out about him, he's not talking. Too. That's it. Th- he he won't speak to the police about any of his crimes. And once they finally break good crack is not because it really depends on what level his ego is, right? Because some killers 
they just love talking like fucking Bumblebutt. Like he fucking loved talking because it got him right. information because he got to talk to cops where it seems like. I mean, g- Ed Kemper liked talking so much. He did books on tape, didn't yeah. he? Oh, yes. Several <laughs> books on tape. Which has got to be so bizarre. Just Beautiful like, I love this Anne of Green Gables. It's read by Edmund Kemper. Oh, very good. That? He had a baritone. It was very lovely. Um, he was yeah. don't like this. But uh, this fucking guy is going to probably it seems like he has contempt for the police sure because you see in the middle of that one call where it's just like i'm gonna fuck again tonight you fuckers where it's just they also say how he talks that was the uh traditional way of the irons talking so you talk like this to every single person you talk to i think probably to disguise his voice it's interesting you mentioned you mentioned law his wife he ended up marrying in 73 i believe they were divorced uh, in around 82 no she way. was actually a lawyer so Fuck. he was a cop. She was a lawyer. Meanwhile, it's a, he's it's also a sitcom. A it's a sitcom killer. if he's not a serial. I mean, technically, this is a Showtime show. What we're talking about. Like, if you could get away with the some of the sex and some of the violence, it's a very compelling show. But in reality, it's very dangerous. What I don't understand is people's obsession with this story. I mean, besides, it's because, it's just so scary. Is it when you read this story, yeah. it really just does. It does the thing that like if a guy wants to fucking kill you enough, if he really wants to. He'll stake you out for a month and he'll get in that house and he'll kill you. And it's just, like it's, you could see the, so now I kind of get, I get the giddy expression. Like I get a bunch of I people think it's like, a, I, yeah, I think it's a bunch of joy that they got him, you know? Yes. But it's also going through the story. It's, it's so brutal. Like every single one of these, it's like, as you read each, each attack and you go through being like this guy you're watching him get bored with himself and then challenge himself and then get bored and then challenge this guy was a real piece of fucking work and now it's i'm mostly just sad that he made it to fucking 72 like it's now this thing where are we now now that we got him it's like hopefully we'll learn some more from him but it's fucking dangerous as shit. You could just, unless you get off on danger, just the idea of it is very fucked up. It's the same thing as BTK. What an interesting, uh, BTK obviously found through a floppy disk, sort of the DNA of a disk. Obviously he being caught through his own biological DNA. But then we had a time 40 years ago where he got away with making phone calls that were it, like nowadays, you do not have that ability. Like, no, I mean, I guess they didn't even have star 69 back in the day where you can call back the number. I mean, talk about where we have come with technology. Um, I don't think that he ever thought he would be caught. And I think he was probably fairly surprised. Oh, I imagine he was advancement in tech, especially at the end. I imagine he was very surprised. I figured that he had, he got his, he got a permanent smile on his face from always gotten away with these crimes. But now we got him, which is good. I also say that the technology is probably also the reason why we have a big dip in serial killer uh, activity. Well, unless you look at the Toronto serial killer, which we still haven't even gotten a fucking chance to get to because yes, of how much true crime news has happened in the last three weeks yep. that we can't get to the new Toronto serial killer because each week is a new fucked up yes. headline. And and to that point, we're, we're going to discuss here again with Sarah, the uh, Alec Manasian, the man who did the spree van killing basically of, of 10 injuring multiple other ones. Do you think, I was talking about this, I think with, with Marcus, um, what do you think the phenomenon of mass shooting is because you cannot serial kill any longer? It's, it's almost know. impossible. So now you kind of have to snap and do what, uh, Paddock did in Vegas, do what this maniac did in Toronto. It seems that's more common now. Well, what we have is, I'm going to say it's almost, you know, 
it's like a dip in patience. Everybody wants everything now, right? So back in the day, a criminal's mentality is like serial killers uh, do what they do a lot of the times for attention, and they're trying to feel yeah. important. So what they do is they, they were killing something as almost a view as an alternative career. Like you could see that this guy viewed himself, especially the Iran's uh, case, is that he viewed himself as somebody bitter and bigger and smarter than the rest of humankind. He had a superiority fucking complex because of his tiny fucking dick and balls that didn't work. So they would go, he would, uh, uh, he would do these long-term crimes in order to make a mark in the world because there was nothing else that he could do. He, so he would kill. So, but the problem is that now with mass shootings, because of our 24 hour, four hour news cycle and because of what we're dealing with and because of the, uh, because of social media, you get famous instantly. You get the right. kick that you want instantly. You become a somebody. So what we're really looking at is just sort of um, the lack of attention span in our criminals, Kessel. Is that they, well, I mean, if we could know teach them how to read a book, maybe well, they'd it's stop an easier killing. way. I mean, you could go out and you could really hone your musical skills. You can become extremely famous at your art and get on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Or you can be Sharnoff and blow up the Boston Marathon. Or you could be Charles Manson and have a death cult. You could do these other things. They're, the the reward, the validation is getting on the cover of these publications. I, I think our media has handled a lot of these cases completely ass backwards. And they put them on a pedestal as opposed to what we do on our show, trying to tear them down to the schmuck level that they are. Well, there were some, this is what he, and I can guarantee this guy got off on the legend of Iran's growing each year, and especially with the internet specific obsession with it. And now that the, now that the story is going to be over, I'm, I'm interested to see if he, what his reactions are. Do you think that he has a, do you think there's any sense of relief? Do you think now he's like, I'm going to do my, I'll do the epilogue now. Uh, and it's going to be my, a big trial. And he's, or do you think he resigns himself and just sort of goes into the cell and shuts up? If, if my money is on, he will say nothing. He will go down silently and he will not give anybody any sort of satisfaction. I think that this is a guy that is probably going to be very bitter about being caught. I think that he will sit and not talk about it. I think because mm. we have some of those killers that are very, they're like that now. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, David Berkowitz, he stopped talking about the crimes and it's only because he found Jesus Christ. So right. he became, so that's his whole thing. He'll only talk about Jesus. He won't talk about right. the son of Sam murders. You've got, um, I'm trying to think of another, it's like, it's kind of like a dictator. It's a, he sounds like a deposed dictator. I think that he will sit there and he will not, uh, give anybody sort of sat, any sort of satisfaction. All right. Which is the, where, cause like Ted Bunny was like a showman. Right where Ted Bunny came and he's like, "Now's my time to shine." He's like, he can right. go out there and really fucking sell it in the courtroom. Where I think that this this guy, uh, I mean, he's a for real deal fucking monster. He was also no, he was on none of the lists. He was never a suspect. He completely wow. went under the radar. Like, and they now, I, I just wonder though. But are they going to use the way they caught him? Right. As a way to constantly monitor us, monitor us as well. Like, yeah, that, I mean, that's 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 the scary part about it. Um, 
because no one will, no one can say they are not happy that this maniac, this mass murderer, serial assaulter is is caught. No one can say they're upset with it. But it is an interesting conversation that we're going to continue to have going forward. Just, I just wish the jokes were more complex than just how small his dick and balls are. Because the thing is that it's that's what's hard for us as on last podcast is like now we're taking things a little bit more serious. You got your glasses on, which I think is great. <laughs> I'm sitting. It's like we're trying to have more like of an active discussion about these types of cases on side stories but we could see how it's difficult to bridge this over to last podcast because it's hard to create a character of this person because he has bottled bottled himself up so tight it's so difficult to see on the inside of what this person is he's become a blank he's become nothing which is sort of like the new joaquin Mm. phoenix i'm you're never really there or you're not really here well i saw with something like that yeah with the hammer and shit where this guy made a his whole life was disappearing, was doing a yeah. crime and then disappearing. So now we're going to see what happens n- that he is being put on blast and see if he changes yeah. his story at all. Well, and, and we will keep you up to date on this. Well, speaking of folks with, uh, with uh, issues of uh, masculinity and perhaps genitalia size, we're going to interview Sarah Gardafee. <laughs> she is the director of uh, Shy Boys, a great documentary. You can find it on Vimeo. And it's she kind of broke into the incel world uh, and explored their mentality. And obviously in the wake of the uh, Toronto, what I believe, ter- terror attack with that van, uh, this is an important thing to keep an eye on. And she's still alive. She did yes. so good. Very, yes, very did. difficult to do. Um, yes. So we'll All be right, speaking with... Sarah now. So today uh, we have a we have someone who directed a documentary on the incel community. Sarah Gardafee is with us. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. And you uh, directed this documentary for your senior thesis, which I'm sure really like freaked out the class, which is awesome. It's a 30 minute doc. It's called Shy Boys, and you were sort of on this incel tip before it was a mainstream conversation. Um, so yeah, it's a little strange for me because I thought of my documentary as more of a, a playful romp rather than in the context of um, tragedy. A playful but. romp. That's something that not a lot of involuntary <laughs> celibate people have. I think that's one of the problems. Right. But you, so when you decided to, uh, first of all, congrats that you lived. Um, I'm so glad that you uh, you made it through and that you didn't have to deal with them too bad and you weren't turned into a mannequin of any sort. You weren't like God knows. Um, but when you went, what made you choose to jo- to do, to look into this group? Well, actually, originally, I I think I was on like the IMDb page for a 40 year old virgin. Oh, you okay. That movie? Yeah, yeah, of course, Steve Carell, uh-huh. the classic. Yeah, so you know the the forum boards were uh, pretty active on that particular film. That's interesting. <laughs> so 40-year-old virgin, for these people, do you think they saw it as like a drama? Yeah, no, they related pretty hard to it. Wow. And then they ended up starting this like offshoot forum called loveshy.com. Okay. And then, you know, I got access to that. So when you first were starting to sort of uh, dig your way through some of these comments that the incel community were, uh, were espousing, what were some... Uh, things that you found interesting enough, compelling enough to be like, I am going to make a documentary about these folks. Well, I guess it was surprising sort of the the 
battling theories on the forum of like why they couldn't get laid. It oh. was, there was like two separate factions. There was like the looks guys versus like the confidence guys. And there's just a lot of debate about it. So it was oh. people who felt uh, maybe they're physically attractive, but they don't have the confidence. And maybe some people who thought they were physically unattractive, but were very confident. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Well, shy boys never get a Chad. I mean, shy boys will never beat a Chad at getting a Stacy. Right. right. To use the terminology. <sighs> and yeah. they have to get, I forget what's the other, it's like a Stacy, and I forget what's the other term for a, a, like a quote unquote normal woman. Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the terminology has changed a lot since I was embedded. Right. Yeah, there's an entire yeah. website that I've been, I go through, which is basically they talk about, uh, have you ever heard the term the manosphere? Yeah. What? Okay, so mm-hmm. let's get into that. So how did you... Get, did you get a decoder ring in the mail like a Christmas story <laughs> so you could figure out what the heck these people are talking about when they speak of Chad's, speak of Stacy's? Uh, how did you start realizing the terminology as you sort of went through? I mean, I spent a year with these people um, talking on wow. the forums, talking every night on the phone. We would have like long conversations into the night. Really? Um, yeah. What was, so how did you even get a hold of them in the first place? I mean, I, I contacted the guy who runs the Love Shy Forum. Okay. Yeah, he he went to film school and wanted to be a filmmaker, but was too shy to pick up a camera. Oh. So he was very excited that I wanted to make a film about them. Oh, okay. Now, when you spoke with them, do you feel that you made any... Uh, I think your doc is, I mean, it's very interesting, and you do see at least the main guy you're speaking to seems to open up a little bit more. But did you feel that you had an influence on them or like there was like anything in there where it's like, like, how were they around you? There one there was one dude. I'm sorry, because I, I saw it from the last time we were covering this topic. There was the one guy that was the uh, heavily pockmarked in Shy Boys that was a urban uh, white trash. Yes, he seemed to be the one um, that was the had a, like a you brought out almost a hostile energy. In oh him. yeah, he was posturing a lot. Well, he was into the pickup artist stuff, so uh, yeah. Ah uh, yes, yes, brilliant. Yes, yes. Good for the big hat industry, the pickup artist. But oh, yeah. that was about it. So, were, at any point, did you feel like an uh, understanding? When it comes to what, because my girlfriend Brooke Rogers, she also wrote an article on it. The more you do a deep dive, I think people initially maybe want to understand and then they realize wow there is just a lot of very angry rhetoric uh did you ever uh sort of grasp why their main motivation for kind of going down this road and allowing themselves uh to normalize this really sexist behavior they definitely trapped themselves in sort of an echo chamber and anything i said they would just dispute it and sort of bounce off them i don't think anything sunk in too much but yeah. I mean, what what would their response be when they would when it was like this is this is why we believe this this is why we believe we're involuntarily celibate? What was their motivation? A lot of it is they hate themselves oh. and um, they sort of want to collect reasons why they they want to blame this, everybody yeah, else where they feel this way about themselves. Yeah, and so they seem to believe that they're owed something extra, and they also seem to. Kind of, uh, I don't know if it would be the term, like how what they do with sex and this idea of this sort of exchange, like it's something that you you get, you give and you get, and it's a thing that they don't get and that you guys withhold and women withhold and they will not give to men and they believe that they are owed it, which is a very uh, like uh, it's a very strange thing to come about independently. I wonder if they are taught that or if it's just the internet has driven them deep 
inside, especially because if they, they hate themselves or feel ugly, they then are trying to find a reason for it. I mean, yeah, that was definitely one of the more dangerous theories that I saw on the forum. There's this guy, his name was Franklin Schmidt, and I don't feel bad about saying his real name, but he was this older guy who kind of led this faction on the forums, and he believed that all American women deserve to be raped. And yeah. um, I ended up interviewing this guy, and I sort of inadvertently ended up alone with him and he was just like sweaty upper lip the entire time staring at me being like you deserve to be raped and he actually got in trouble for kidnapping a woman um a high school student actually jesus christ but yeah he uh yeah that was definitely more so how do you gauge rhetoric uh versus action when this person because that is obviously disgusting when do we as a society say the rhetoric is now turned to a point where they're about to become violent cells like we saw in toronto with the van attack uh alec manasian uh there were red flags all around how do we maintain obviously that was in canada so they don't really have a first amendment the way that we do but how do we maintain internet freedom freedom of speech and also like protecting society from these people who are espousing again i think isis level amounts of aggression towards women i mean i'm not sure because i think the majority of people who identify as incel i mean they're a lot of them are impressionable because they spend a lot of time online and and not so much interacting outside socially with people it seems um, like they need to be broken almost like they're in a cult they need to be shut reprogrammed. down reprogrammed yeah. They, yeah they need to be like stolen and being like hey the, the total re-education which is very difficult to do one by one and i, I also wonder because that's that's the thing about the internet in general right and what we do and what we talk about on last podcast and what we talk about it, it, as people is that maybe in a fucked up way place like Places like on Reddit, there's a new subreddit, right? The incel subreddit was shut down, and now it's called uh, Brain Cells because the idea is they're trying to do enlightened discussions about uh, the incel community. And a part of it is like, I wonder if it is a placebo to get it out of your system. But the problem is to go and say a bunch of hate at a bunch of people and it gets out. But then I also wonder if it uh, if it supports it when a bunch of people jump on and say, yeah, 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 right. yeah, and get into I it. I mean, I've also seen incel forums kind of police themselves. Like there was this guy in Croatia. He had been stalking this woman for months Jesus. and was like, I just bought a gun. Um, I'm going to go shoot her. Okay, so and now we have a situation where, and he actually purchased a gun. He said he was going to purchase a gun. At this point, we have to stop this guy. Yeah, so everyone reported him. And then he, you know. The, whatever the Croatian version of the FBI showed up and arrested him. And I mean, he was back on the forum a couple months later, but you know, at least well, I got this. Um, my girlfriend was sent this document from this guy who was an incel. And these were some of his reasons. This is what he proposed. He proposed one women no longer are allowed to wear makeup, i.e. falsely advertise their beauty and hence stop them from banging guys above their league. What is <laughs> what are they talking about? Uh, when they, you know, okay, when they address makeup and all of these things and, and when they talk about guys above their league, it's so weird because they almost gauge male beauty mm-hmm. as much as they gauge female beauty. And yeah. it seems like they're so angry it's weird. with attractive men. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that they seem to be like so riled up by all these attractive dudes and all the, the well, stuff. Well, Henry, I mean, do. honestly, they must be livid with you. I mean, Natalie, theoretically, oh, way oh, above your league. Like they, you are like the 
definition of like, how did Henry become a Chad? And how do I, I look better than Henry. How can, how, how come I can't find someone who was a model? I get it all the time. I get it. I get hostile messages. Uh, from men who like will say dumb shit about you know, about the fact that Natalie is much hotter than I deserve, and I'm like, well, you gotta be funny, do something, or do something with your life that uh, that draws people to you. So, what did you get any gauge of that? Like their disdain for also, I don't know. Again, men who date out of their league and vice versa. Oh yeah, I mean, there was advanced who was angry that you know he would accept a 300 pound woman. He said he shoots for bottom of the barrel. I mean, Ugh. and even he can't get that in his mind. It's like, that's, you know. And They're then so crazy. I will say that, I mean, this isn't always the case, but um, when Urban White Trash picked me up in a parking lot when we first met, the first thing he blurted out to me, I like barely opened the car door and he was like, I just I just want you to know I would go prison gay. I, I would. And I think <laughs> oh, that's my. the first okay. thing we, first we thing talked about. Out so. of the gate. You know, <laughs> Maybe that's what's ruining all the first dates for these people. Just immediately. What's interesting about this breakdown that that uh, Brooke sent you, this guy's because he also uh, they're obsessed with points. They're obsessed yes, they with like point scale. levels and shit about how like every person start with a ten out of ten, and every single time a woman has sex, she loses a number until she's down with a one of ten. And you can't be with someone. You can only sleep with someone who has an equal. Uh, sexual market value card is what they right. call to everybody and all this stuff. And these, because it sounds like video games, not to be completely pedantic, but they're they're acting as if everything's fucking Halo, including uh, human relationships. Yeah, what's the insight on that? And how I the? Mean, I mean, how do they have these arbitrary? It's like they show whose line is it anyway. It just seems like the scoring is totally arbitrary. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to make it into a game that they could possibly figure out how to win. But uh, I haven't heard of that one. I've the scales I've heard of are the HB1 through HB10. Okay, HB1 <laughs> through HB10. What does the HB stand for? HB stands for hot babe. Oh, so yeah. you're aiming for an HB10. Uh, it doesn't really make sense because in, I don't know how you would find an HB1. It's kind of counterintuitive. but So they just have this whole worldview, this whole mentality that tries to label people based on physical looks and uh, and then put them in a scale of 1 to 10. And in their own minds, do they bring that onto themselves? Do they self-identify with a number? Will a guy be like, I'm Tony, I'm a 5? Uh, or, or it's simply something they project onto others? From what I understand is they consider themselves to be genetic garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a good name for an improv group or a band. It genetic does. garbage. We're genetic garbage and we're here to not play very well. It's very interesting. When you go through this, I was, I'm looking at this thing on Rational Wiki, the Manosphere Glossary, right? It talks about all of these different terms that I've delved through this before. And one thing that seems to be coming up is the advent of, I mean, obviously we've had blue pill, red pill, but now the concept, the concept of a more fatalistic black pill, which is this uh, mm. idea that you take the, if you can give somebody the black pill, it's just showing that literally you are stuck within this world you will never sleep with anyone ever again you are you just face it like face it like there's no you can't educate people this is the way it is um and we need to it will all lead to a beta uprising which is the uh so they self-identify as beta a beta i hate i hate those terms by the way like all of my all of my being alpha beta it drives me absolutely insane but that's fascinating that they sort of weaponized the term beta Wait. So are these um, are these guys uh, who have decided to go vol cell, voluntary celibate? 
that's the involuntary celibate is very interesting too. Uh, no, they do do that, but some of them will then go all the way to be a vol cell. And the, the Volcells are a whole other world of even sadder group of, of dumpier idiots that are, this is the thing is like, again, I know we're like, we're talking as if we're supposed to be scared of them. I don't, I, I know that they can do horrible shit and they yeah, do horrible can. shit, but I refuse to, I, I refuse to be upset at a bunch of people that would be scared. It's like, I can unleash Wendy at them. Like yeah. Wendy could go and attack oh. them. Well, that's a, it's a scary dog though. She's Little cute. dogs are the scariest dogs. I mean, a lot, I, I don't know if it's so much incel. It's sort of incel combined with mental illness that yeah. results in. Well, do you think it's a mental illness just by definition? If you're a part of this group, in my mind, I'm immediately like, you obviously need psychological help. I think that's a lot of it. Also, I think just, uh, I think a lot of them are sort of on the spectrum as well and just yeah. feel ostracized from society. When you heard of the van attack in Toronto, how surprised were you? Once it came out, because everyone was obviously initially, uh, what's the what's the pigment of this person? We will uh, then identify their religion, and then we will clarify if it's terrorism or just someone going rogue. And then again, we have now this sort of new incel uh, phenomenon that the news media was totally behind on. They're like, he doesn't seem to have terroristic ideas. He hasn't made terroristic threats. Hates women. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, were you surprised when you heard, oh, wow, this is a member of a group that I've been researching? Um, no, I, I mean, everyone remembers Elliot Roger, but of this has been happening before that. I remember the first time I heard of it was George Sedini, who's this guy who shot up a curves gym. Oh, okay. Um, and he left behind a lot of manifestos. And what's um, So when did that occur? That was 2008. 2008. Mm-hmm. So that was, would you say that was the first moment of violence coming from this community? Uh, that's the first one I've heard of, and I do remember a lot of people hailed him as a hero, and they were like, this is the first shot in the love-shy revolution. Ugh. Blood's going to run in the streets. Well, that was what was so disgusting about uh, about the reaction, again, to the van attack. So many people said he is the victim. He's been demonized. He's been uh, marginalized by society, by we women in general. We saw the same it's thing. It's crazy. With Columbine, we saw the same thing, where if the narrative that came out of Columbine is this idea that it's easier, they have this kind of concept that it's easier to fix the bullying end of this, this, like, of his problem, is that it's everybody else making him feel isolated, and that's why he's acting like it, where it's like, no, how do we fix the, in, in the inherent problem that the internet's showing, which, which is, it's kind of forcing us into a corner with, which is this kind of involuntary loneliness, um, the, the no connection, because I think that, I, I don't think that there's a, a divide in the fact that the, these, the, the rise of their communities on the internet is leading to violence. Like, oh, I absolutely. Think being in their echo chambers and not having any sort of outreach to anybody else, like what you did going and meeting with these guys and trying to hear their side of the story is something that a lot of, not a lot of people are willing to do because of how unpleasant these idiots are. Going back to that with Columbine, the media, and we've talked about this on our Columbine episodes, Dylan, uh, Dylan Klebold and, uh, and Eric Harris were the bullies. Uh, they were part of a gang, the Trenchcoat Mafia, uh, and the narrative that came came out immediately was nerds revenge shy people's revenge shy boys revenge and that narrative still was permeating a little bit when it came to this van attack and i think we have to totally flip it and realize these people are the bullies these people are the aggressors these are the ones who want to do harm to everyone else who is just trying to live their life and i will say that um after making that documentary when the people in it 
saw the documentary yeah. themselves, I will say they made a lot of drastic life changes. So really? you just kind of have to show them. Um, they w- they did not like the mirror. They ooh, did not no. like looking at who they were. Not at all. Well, um, that's that's so perfect. Well, I, I'm so happy that you made that for that reason. I'm so happy um, that it changed some lives. Well, three lives, yeah. Three, hey, three <laughs> lives could save a lot of lives. Uh, it just takes one crazy person nowadays. Do you think that the pickup artist mentality, that the the other concept of teaching these guys to get out there and score, do you think that it's actually? Do you think it's useful at all, or no? Like these are part. I mean, obviously it's garbage, uh, the 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 pickup community. But the idea of like the concept of going omega, which is what they call they're gonna they start killing people essentially, is what what that term means. And that pickup artists say that's what we do is that the the game uh, can save your life. Is that basically we'll take people that are on the verge of popping off and teach them how to score with the ladies, and then everything's good to go? Uh, I think it's more damaging because it just kind of reinforces this idea that sex is something that you can win from a woman and kind of objectifies women. I think that's more the main problem. It's like putting women on a pedestal and hating them for it. Just such a bizarre worldview and their solutions to their problems are so extreme and so completely insane. Uh, You're right. We can't take them. uh, We can't be scared of them, but we do have to take them a little bit seriously. Sure. We got to keep an eye on them. That's what I'd say. I'm going to keep a little eye on them. And for the most part, I'm going to try not to look at them. So what can we do now? Because Reddit has shut down um, their incel, whatever, their backslash incel site. They seem to be getting pushed further and further and further down the rabbit hole into the dark web. Uh, Do you think that that could lead to more acts of violence or um, or do you think it's better not to uh, have them so prevalent on the Internet to perhaps normalize what they're talking about and then attract new people. I'm concerned that we're in a situation now where there is a lot of pressure on them. There are a lot of people who I'm sure were tip, dipping their toe in who are just like, this is not for me any longer. I'm concerned it just gets more and more hardened and we see, we see more radical cells pop out. And now that we have Elliot Roger, the curves person that you mentioned, and, uh, and Manation there, I feel like we have a competition of who can kill the most, who can do the most damage. I mean, I don't think you're going to get rid of these groups. I mean, it started on like an IMDb page, you know. It and, literally uh, started with 40-year-old version. Yeah. So, I mean, that they're going to find places to talk about and I it. And I know originally it was a woman in 1993 that started it. Uh, who was an involuntary, uh, who, who identified, she was a queer woman, uh, and she identified as involuntarily celibate, and then she kind of began it, and then that's when everyone kind of came on, and then she was like, I'm going to dip on out of here. You guys have gone totally crazy. You ruined this for me. You ruined it. Uh, as it seems like they ruin a lot of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating. I guess as a society, uh, we do have to keep an eye on it, and we do have to be aware that these groups of people, when we see them talking with such extreme violence, it's the world has changed for them now, and I think they need to be taken at their word. Mm-hmm. You know, so often we hear these people talk, and we just don't even believe them. I think at this point, we've got to believe what they're saying. you got to trust people uh, if they're saying crazy things. Mm-hmm. And if they want to get off the internet, they could always read uh, Telmer Shockley's Love Shy Survival Guide, written in the 1970s. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining. Henry, do you have any other questions? I, I don't know what we can do about this problem, to be honest. I have no clue what the answer is because it seems like technically people are allowed to think whatever it is that they want to think, but, it's, but when it leads to violence, how do you manage it? Like, what do you do to reach out to these people? 
Right. And that's the difficult part for law enforcement also. When does it change from rhetoric to actual violence? And I mean, going back to that story you were talking about with the man who said he was in Croatia, said he was going to kill the woman, bought a gun. It's like, okay, now we're starting to see the steps there in the direction of actually uh, having these horrific ideas come to fruition. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. And where can people find the documentary? Um, You can find it on my Vimeo page. And where is the Vimeo page? Um, well, you can just look up my name, Sarah Gardefee. Sarah Gardefee. Yes. It's S-A-R-A-G-A-R-D-E-P-H-E. Mm-hmm. And it's called Shy Boys. Check out that documentary. I'm so happy. I didn't realize that they had watched it and changed their lives. Um, so thank you for doing that. Uh, that is a massive service to, uh, to the entire country, to the world uh, as a whole. Um, all right. Because- well, thank you so much, Sarah Gardefee. Check out her doc. Thank you. Live from your grave. Man, when I wasn't getting any touch at all, I was fine. Yeah, I think you know, you might have been doing better than ever. I think you were a little bit nicer. Um, you know, when I was getting to, when I wasn't getting touched. Yeah, just a kind gentleman. I think you've only ever known me with a girlfriend. Yeah, that's possible. There was a Although pe- maybe <laughs> I'm trying to think at the time I was just I too groovy to be dated. Yeah, that's right. Well, you had the dashiki on, yeah. it was college, you know, yes. you were out there wheeling and dealing. Um, yeah, I mean, that was that's absolutely fascinating, man. These communities, I guess we got to keep an eye on them. I'm going to uh, keep a tab good, on it's them. It's good that we know them, you know. Well, I'm just, I promise I don't want to get lunch with these people. Like, we're supposed no. to fix them by going and hanging out and fucking queer eye from the straight guide and these guys? Like, I don't think that's who should that's be doing That's an this. idea. Yes. Queer eye, queer eye for the straight guy. We give them guns. Incel edition. Incel, and then we have them go in there. It's like scared straight, but with gay men against fat, dumpy little incel dudes, where they go in, putting a gun in the face, being like, you're going to learn how to make fucking guacamole using cottage cheese. Like, you're going to do it again and again. (laughs) Yeah, I think, yes, that is what we have to do. Queer out for the straight guy. They are the only saviors uh, to stop the incel problem. I honestly think that I think that Karamo can do anything. Like he can I go. He, I'm scared of that fucking man. They, they, that <laughs> handsome guy from Queer Eye. He is going to be president. He'll sell. He sells things. To, like he'll do a thing where some someone will say, "Be like, yeah, that reminds me of a. I had a clown in my bedroom. It's like clown, huh?" <laughs> Sometimes we all feel like a clown. Do you ever feel like maybe you do things just for other people's amusement? You ever try to like, you know, open up yourself and be proud of yourself? And everyone's like, what? Like he always switches and he makes their story his story. He's going to be dictator of America. It could. Well, I'm all for it. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to Side Stories. Uh, really appreciate it. You can find us on social media. Henry loves you, Doctor Fantasty. Ben Kissel, Ben Kissel one Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and we got a great episode of the last podcast this week coming out for you too. Yeah, it's gonna be real fucking nice. Ooh, you're gonna <laughs> like it. Thank you so much for listening to this again. And I just want to say, if you got stories you want us to cover, or you have any, you have opinions to fucking express. Do it through the last podcast network at gmail.com because we see those things. I try not to read too many of my um, ats on Twitter. Well, you got to be careful for your own mental stability and your own mental health. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so shoot us an email. Let us know what you guys want us to cover. And we'll try to do our best. Again, as Henry said before, there are like, there's so much going on, uh, especially in the true crime world. Uh, so we'll just try to pick the stories that uh, we find to be most compelling and uh, the most significant for the genre. We'll serve it to your assholes. <laughs> there it is. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Thank you. Uh, do we need a new sign off for us? 
for this? I'm a, I, I don't think so. We can do a magustalations. I mean, I... Um, hey, here's looking at you. <laughs> no. Keep on listening. Keep on loving and learning. You know, I kind of like that one. Thank you. Listening, loving, and learning. Triple L. Triple L. That's perfect. Talk to you soon. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh, like artist Priscilla. This smells like houses in the Hampton Champagne toast down in Brazil. Smells like anything you think could happen, probably will. Explore the new Glade Fresh collection today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's a daily weight on my life, how much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.